think of yourself as a movie and you're the writer, producer, director, actor. The script was inherited by everything that happened to you by the time you were seven. What you saw, what you heard, what you felt energetically from mom and or dad. And you either copied or you rebelled or you survived. And that became the script. This is how to be. Part of starting to get to know ourselves is to take a look at that script. To uncover who am I really? What did I learn? And if you learned it, you can unlearn it. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today, we're joined by Anat Perry. Now, Anat is an inner child expert, a mentor to coaches, and has 18 years experience in the self-development space. Now, I first met Anat about four years ago through a mutual friend, Mike Bloodsoe. And then following that, I joined her program, Training Camp for the Soul, which is a deep dive into all things related to the self, emotional health, well-being, how to create new possibilities in our life. And today, Anat flew up to record with me and we go into so many interesting topics related to some of the major challenges that men are facing today, the major challenges that women are facing today, how we can work with the nervous system and create safety in the body as we do this type of healing work. We learn the role that mother and father play in our lives and how we can reparent ourselves in a healthier way for a better life for ourselves and for all those that we love around us. I hope you love the show. This was a great conversation. Let's get right into it. Could you share, I'm curious, what was your experience or what has been your experience? Because your your husband is not in the professionally, at least in the the coaching, the wellness space professionally. Mm-hmm. I know you were saying he's in basically tech. And with that, how have you guys found you being in this work professionally and, and living it for so many years? How has that dynamic been with one person who isn't at least professionally involved right. with this? Or what's that been like for you guys? Yeah. Well, he's very spiritual. Okay. Those of you that are Star Wars fans or grew up <laughs> watching Star Wars, there's a lot of spiritual teachings in Star Wars Mm. movies. And so you could say that's where he really learned a lot about spirituality, but he just innately very, very connected in that way. And so there was, even from our first date, there was like common ground in that. There was respect in that. I love that he's not, although I never thought I'd end up with someone who wasn't in the industry, but I love that he isn't because he's so worldly. Mm. And and you could even... (laughs) Those of you into astrology, if you were to look at our astrology, our astrologist said that all my planets fall in the sector of the self. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm all about the self, not necessarily myself, but human self, human psychology. I'm like, that makes sense. And then his chart is all over the map. He's more worldly. He's so worldly. He loves everything from like genres of music to food, to art, to history. And so to me, being with him pops me out of my obsession sometimes or passion with the human psychology, the way we operate, because I could just 
spend hours and hours and hours always in that exploration and more into the world, more into like, let's go out and just have fun and not be so serious. You know, this weekend we went to a baseball game. We live pretty close to the, the stadium on uh, Saturday. And then Sunday he's like, yeah, we're going to the museum of art. There's this great exhibition I want to see. And it's just, just fun. Yeah. He balances me out from being all about how humans develop to actually enjoying everyday simple things of life, being, you know, adventurous. Going to ball games, museums, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoying life. And then I think we've been able to grow, support each other in that growth. Do you ever find it challenging or what's been your experience around maybe times where you have or haven't brought in coaching into the relationship. Like, do you have, did you find it maybe at first hard, like to separate the coach and just be his partner? Or what was your experience around that? He's an Aries. <laughs> He's a leader. He's super confident, very smart, uh, very compassionate. Actually, no. He's learned to be more and more compassionate. I think I've led him to that. Mm -hmm. So bottom line is there's no telling this man what to do. Um, so coaching him was never a thing cause he just, he walks to his own path. He trusts his own gut. Um, so it wasn't about whether I coached him or didn't, it was more me learning not to judge him. Mm. So it wasn't like, Oh, let me help him and coach him through something. No, he was never open to that. But noticing things that I felt could be different or better, and learning to accept him and let him get to things on his own. He is so connected to energy in a sense of so many times he could tell when I'm off, he could say, what's wrong? He could tell when my energy's off. And that always impressed me. And he could tell when he felt judged by me. Mm. And I remember him saying to me, because I have a lot of guy friends that are in the industry and early in our relationship, I'd say about a year in, two years in, he said to me one time, he goes, I feel you comparing me to, I'm not going to be like your other guy friends. This is who I am. And I was just like, whoa, he is so tapped in. He completely, <laughs> like, that's accurate. I never said it to him, but he could just feel it. And so I learned to really love him for who he is and how unique that is these beautiful gifts and hearing him say that, that was something I really took to heart and started for myself to work on letting go of what I thought he needed to change or fix and just accepting him and loving him. So he could really feel that love and acceptance for me. And within a month of that is when he chose to start making certain shifts. Yeah. So letting go of that attachment. I'd love to hear more on that because, you know, you, you hear the saying, whether it's loving ourselves or loving another person for who they are, not what they do. And I mean, I've been learning, I mean, every single day, every single hour, I'm learning more as a father and having Luca as my son, one of the biggest things recently, and it's like every time I hold him, like there's a new felt learning that comes up. And one of the things that's really come up recently is... I just truly love this kid for who he is Yeah, in a way that cognitively, mentally just almost doesn't make sense. 
to me in terms of how I was brought up or just how I experienced the world. So whether it's you or someone who's like, what does that mean to you? And what might you be able to suggest to someone to maybe foster more of that loving someone or loving ourselves for who we are, not so much what we do? Mm, It's a practice. It is. I don't think it's about achieving it. Like that, this mm. is where you're at with your four month old son who right now is just needing food <laughs> and sleep. <laughs> he's not really making any choices. Question is, when he's seven years old and he chooses, I want to do dance class instead of karate. Could you accept him then? As an example. So it's going to be a constant practice. And I think it's the same in any relationship. Whether it's our siblings, our parents, our partner is constantly choosing to swim in our own lanes, mm. to let them be on their journey. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in like our soul's journey that we're all here to evolve, but we all have different life lessons. And for someone like me, it could be to serve humanity in the biggest way and help them evolve. And for him, his life lesson might be to enjoy life. So who am I to judge? Yeah, so it's, it's a constant uh, less now with him, especially for a while. It was definitely a lot of practice of just allowing and accepting and looking at myself instead. And really unpacking the meaning I'm putting behind those things. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I feel that big time. Yeah. It is a practice. And it's like, especially when you can almost like catch yourself in the act, Mm -hmm. you know, and having a partner who's on the same page and can kind of mirror that back for you or call you up to those things and bring those awarenesses can be really helpful. But the more that we can catch ourselves in the act and then therefore reparent ourselves in that process. I mean, it's a, I mean, it is a life practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And ultimately, if you explore it and say, okay, well, what does this mean? There's, there's some fear underneath it mm. or some desire. It's like, oh, well, if he does that, then he's not, you know, if, if he drinks wine every weekend, then he's not going to, you know, live long or whatever. Right. All these made up stories that create some kind of experience, but most likely that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid feeling those things. So we want to control and change and fix. You had mentioned like lessons, life lessons. And I know you do a lot of work with both men and women in the containers you create and your online programs. And I was fortunate enough to be in one, I think it was like three years ago, training yeah. camp for the soul, which was awesome. And I'm curious on that same thread, uh, I would, I'm really curious about both men and women first individually that you've experienced. What would you say is maybe, uh, maybe not the top, but one of the, the, the main issues, challenges, or even fears that you're getting to witness, experience, and support uniquely men with, if there is a general theme that you tend to see? I would say that the fears in what leads them to work with me mm. uh, is. A lot of times, actually, I'd say more uh, inability to achieve the desires, the expectations that either society puts on them or that they put on themselves. 
of wanting to be able to provide, but at the same time also be happy. I think a lot of men struggle with that balance of being able to take care of themselves and also be able to succeed the way that society says that we should succeed. That leads to a lot of overwhelm. So I think a lot of them have a lot of overwhelm and they don't have the outlet or enough healthy outlets to know how to support themselves through that. Women, we gather, we talk, we hold each other through it. And a lot of men, if they're not surrounded by other great men, like in your work, then they feel isolated and um, will turn to a lot of just the social norms of disconnection to release that energy, whether it's we'll just go to the gym and work out or go to the bar or go to the ball game or watch sports on TV or, and it's just this wanting to belong to something. I think sports is a lot of that. People watch sports because they want to belong to a team. Mm-hmm. And so uh, brotherhood. Yeah. And wanting to know how to tend to themselves. Maybe this isn't something that they come in there knowing that they want. <laughs> I want to know how to tend to myself. No man <laughs> is saying that, but they want to find their own inner power. With their own inner power, I'm fully in agreement, you know, uh, with the, not only the calls that I'm having with men who are interested in some of the work that I'm leading, but also at the retreats themselves, that weight or that burden of expectation is something which leads to, or can lead to that feeling of overwhelm, isolation. I mean, I wouldn't, maybe, I don't know if on every call I could say for certain that comes up, but in some way, shape or form hands down, the vast majority of men either express those exact words of overwhelm, of isolation, of burden, of feeling like there's an, like there's some restriction or weight on their internal freedom, Mm -hmm. however that may look. Um, so I totally hear you on that. What do you find? Do you find that some of the men have difficulty in opening up to this work and, or what has been very helpful in how you facilitate and lead and, and kind of, um, either creating a container or guiding men into more opening into whether it's their feelings or opening into new possibilities. Yeah. Um, speaking to their mind first. Okay. Creating a lot of context. Why is that? I think it's true for men and women is that we want to logically understand. Okay. So that we feel in control. (laughs) We want to know what the context is. What are we getting into here? Why should I do this? What's it going to do for me? And so when I used to lead my work as an intensive six day retreat and people would come to that with maybe a module, I don't even know if I had a a pre-retreat module or not. So people would come in there pretty blind to the experience. They had a call with me, maybe they heard me on a podcast, but that's about it. I would find that on day one, yeah, you'd have the brave one that is ready to go first. But (laughs) even on day one, a lot of the work that I did with them wasn't deep yet. It was just handling their mind. It was creating a lot of context for them to be able to feel safe. With that safety that's created, 
one of the things, and I'm just curious right now is you'd lead co-ed containers. And I believe you also do women only containers too, if I'm mistaken right now. I've dabbled in it, but for the most part, both. What I'm really curious, because, you know, I'm mainly focusing on men's work. What's some of the uniqueness that happens in a co-ed container, especially, um, I imagine that sometimes couples do come, but Mm -hmm. by and large, they do. Okay. So I'm really curious about that. How's that dynamic? What do you find in a, in a co-ed container is dropping into this work? Yeah. Well, first off with couples, um, if their relationship is stable, Mm -hmm. So they're not coming to the retreat to save their relationship. They're coming more for their own individual growth and they want to do it together. Then I'm all for them doing it together. If their relationship is unstable, that's what's on the line. I actually have them do retreats separately. Mm, Explain that a little more. If they come together, then their focus is going to be on saving the relationship Mm. or arguing the relation or whatever. It's going to be about the relationship and foundational work starts with the self. Mm. They're not going to be able to really focus on themselves. They're going to be focusing on the relationship. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, but if they're in a good place, sure. Do it together, grow together. Uh, so to answer the question of the opportunity of men and women together, a lot of healing of how women, you know, the, the, stories or past experiences they've had with men. And so there could be a man that's at the retreat that reminds them of someone they've dated or maybe their partner and they don't have an attachment to that person. And so there's healing that happens hearing someone that, oh my God, this guy sounds just like my husband and getting to see what's underneath that fear that he has that my husband has as well is creating that healing for me because I could accept him. I understand him without judging him. I could hear him because a lot of times we want to be right with our partner. So we don't allow ourselves to actually hear what's underneath it. So there's that and vice versa. Same thing for men with women is just being able to see someone in the raw, Mm. see someone vulnerable and um, understand how similar we all are as humans. It removes those, th- that, that line of like, you're, you're a man, I'm a woman. And just brings us all to soul family, humanity. Wow. I feel that. I feel that. I know your work includes, while it does have story work and stuff, you, you have a very, in my experience, a really integrative approach. Mm-hmm. So you do somatic yeah. stuff. There might be breath work or TRE. What's been your experience? And I'm curious how maybe your practice or how you practice has evolved to maybe begin incorporating more, not necessarily modalities, but maybe incor- incorporating more of, a, if you want to say like a total body or a somatic experience to the work. Yeah. So how has my work evolved since I started it? Since you started and, and is, has that been the one, has that been one thing that's grown over the years or was that there actually in the beginning as well? Yeah, no, it has evolved. Um, when I started out, I, my, my, I had been in the self-development space at that point for 10 years. Oh, shit. Um, eight of those years was more mindset work, NLP, um, all kinds of language modalities. So all of the mind, which I respect. And to me is half the equation. Uh, and at the time, I thought it was all the equation. 
but my life showed differently. Mm. I had a lot of awareness. I had a lot of great tools and uh, I was still challenged with getting results in my life. Mm. And that led me to a deeper exploration. It led me into yoga, into meditation, into plant medicine, and eventually to my mentor, who was a body-mind psychologist for 45 years. He's no longer with us, but he, uh, he, was, he was my healer, or he was my guide to my own healing. And when I worked with him for my own healing in those four months, he said to me at the end of it, you have a gift with this. Would you ever want to do what I do? And I was like, mm, no, <laughs> I do not want to sit in an office and see someone for an hour a day. It's very much that traditional therapy setup. And I uh, circled back with him about eight months later and said, I am interested in learning some of the work I've done with you, methods with you, and seeing how I want to present it to the world. So it started out with uh, some of the trainings that I got from him, some of the learning that I got from him still in my work. And I felt that I had enough because ultimately the most important was I felt that I went through transformation, that I was embodied enough after 10 years <laughs> and really those key four to six months to support others to guide others now I was ready and so I just went for it <laughs> at the beginning it was virtual it was google docs it was like oh my god <laughs> god bless those first few clients <laughs> I always say it's like the iphone if someone gave you iphone version one right now you'd be like I don't want this piece of crap <laughs> and so but at the time it was great those that went through my work then still got what they needed to get. And my business grew through referrals and I, it evolved from virtual to one-on-one -on -one retreats to then small intimate retreats of like three to six participants. And uh, the more reps I got, the more I tapped, the more I let go of the training wheels. I let go of what I held as like the tool, the truth, and allowed my own gifts to come through, my own inner wisdom to come through. And I had clients that would say to me, I want to learn to do what you do. It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't have it mapped out yet. I just mm -hmm. do what I do. It comes naturally to me. And I set an intention that year to in the next 12 months to get enough reps with the focus of really identifying a modality, like a step-by-step -step so that I could duplicate myself so that other people can learn this because they're asking to learn it. So there's something here. Mm. So it did evolve and uh, little nuances now that it evolves in, but it's pretty pretty dialed in and I'm always open. I'm very much open to um, learning new things. I think in the past year, I really delved into the nervous system. 
So there's a lot more of how to work with our nervous system, how to regulate our nervous system, where before that wasn't as much of a focus, although it was there, but it wasn't a focus. So there's always pieces of it. What might that look like in your work with balancing the nervous system or incorporating that? How might that be brought to life? Teaching people to self-regulate. Okay. So for them to understand what it looks like when you're outside your window of tolerance, when there's too much energy, Mm. when you're in overwhelm, how to recognize that, how to self-soothe. What are the practices to do that? And to notice in people what patterns they are in when they are in overwhelm, to Mm. teach them what those patterns are so they can start to recognize for themselves, oh, I'm in overwhelm and to slow down. So really empowering people more to self-regulate. I love that. And are those patterns that you're seeing, are they, you know, incredibly unique to that individual and how the patterns they've uniquely developed over life? Or are there some common themes or common ways that most people have experienced or expressed those behaviors? And there's common themes. Uh, there's a great book called The Five Personality Patterns by Stephen Kessler. Okay. And so uh, he talks about that everyone has a primary and a secondary pattern that kick in when your nervous system is in overwhelm. Mm. So we have the leaving pattern and leaving doesn't mean like leaving a room or leaving a relationship. It's more that when your system feels overwhelmed, you just check out, you leave your body. Shut down. Like a, you go into freeze. Like a free. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Like a freeze. So it's very similar to like the freeze fight fawn facade. Yeah. Those four, the sympathetic responses. Then there's merging. So those of us that um, when in overwhelm, don't know how to resource ourselves Mm. and needs become needy, clingy, need somebody else to resource us. And there's the enduring. All those patterns are formed in early years as a way to come back to safety. So even your son right now, a four month old, is going to develop some of these patterns depending on where he feels that he didn't get what he needed. So enduring pattern is just learning to hold everything in, stuff it all down, endure, tough it out. Mm. Then there's the aggressive pattern. We all know what that one is. <laughs> like, and the rigid pattern. So there's a right and a wrong way. I need to be in control. I am my accomplishments I need to do it right. So when in overwhelm, one of these kicks in. And if that one doesn't work in the situation, then your second one kicks in. Mm. How can someone go about identifying that? Would it be reading the book or it just sitting with what you said in that, in those situations and just developing that awareness over time? If you want to deep dive in, you can read the book. Mm-hmm. I think he's got some great resources on his website as mm-hmm. well. Most importantly, that studying that awareness. And with those five, so let's just say I'm in overwhelm right now yeah. and I'm curious what, uh, let's use the, uh, Let's use the leaving pattern yeah. as the example is the first one that you mentioned. Cause I definitely know that I, uh, when I'm in overwhelm, that is one, I don't know if it's my dominant one, but I will freeze. For example, if I'm in that and identify that's my pattern, what might you say is, uh, maybe a healthy process and working through that? Whatever's going to get you back in your body. So activating, especially the leaving pattern, activating the five senses. Okay. 
So yeah. right now so, you're like squeezing, so you're hugging yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Noticing huh. your, what's in your environment, naming the things in your environment. Huh. Mm-hmm. Smells. So lighting Palo Santo or incense, anything that's going to ground you back into your body, feeling the five senses. So um, at times we can leave our body and we'll turn to certain vices to get back in our body. So let me eat some ice cream. <laughs> let me watch a show. Um, and I want to say that for each of these, there's gifts. Okay. So you can, as you regulate your nervous system more and learn to expand your capacity to be with more energy so that you're not operating in overwhelm outside of your tolerance window, then you're able to access more of the gifts. So the gifts of someone that runs the leaving pattern is that uh, they're very connected to the spiritual realms, very creative. Mm. They can channel a lot. They can write. Those that run the emerging pattern, they're the lovers. They're the healers. They can feel a lot, connect with you a lot. Aggressive pattern, they're charismatic. They're passionate. They're leaders. And so on and so forth. And I do want to say that Sometimes people are like, well, I see myself in all of them. Sure. Yeah. And there's a difference between what mom and dad modeled to you that you learned behaviorally. So let's say mom and dad both run the rigid pattern. And so everything has order and structure to it and there's a right and a wrong. And so you might've learned that. And so behaviorally you have some of those skills because you learned it very different than what shows up when you're in overwhelm. That's the key part. So is it maybe one that you've learned and also one that's maybe literally a, maybe a default nervous system yeah. reaction or yeah. response to the they situation? May be, they may be the same. Okay. Yeah. But if someone says, well, I relate to all of them, I would say, well, is it, is it, is this something that you learn as a behavior or does this show up when in overwhelm? And you'll discover it more when you're in relationship. <laughs> Best is if you're in relationship, because if you're home and single and by yourself, like most likely you're, you're pretty, you're not as activated. Let's just say that. And there's no one mirroring to you. I never saw that I run the leaving pattern until my husband and I used to get into fights and I'd leave the room. And I remember when I was learning about the five personality patterns and reading about the leaving pattern and we got into some fight and I left the room and he goes, why are you leaving? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I remember saying, cause it's too much. It's too much energy. You're too, cause he runs the, he's rigid, uh, runs the rigid and the aggressive pattern. So a lot of big energy with the aggressive pattern. And my little system's like too much, too much energy, gotta leave. And so it helped me to identify that one. Yeah. And so moments like that, to answer your question, someone, um, I learned to focus on my breath. Simple as that, you know, and to identify those five senses and to assure myself that I'm safe Mm -hmm. to, to give that touch and caress and hold myself. I'm safe, safe to be in my body, safe to experience this. Yeah. And learning to really strengthen my ability to stay, stay with the fire. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a huge part of just the growth process is can you be with the chaos mm-hmm. that's either happening in your own world or how you're experiencing, you know, the outside world. Yeah. And one thing that you, a word that you said that I would just be curious because it's a word that gets tossed around in the space and you've been talking about this word or mirroring, right? Mm-hmm. Can you share for someone who's not familiar with that word? Like what is mirroring in a relationship? How can that be a teacher? And what does that mean to you? So when you look in the mirror, you see a reflection, right? And so mirroring with a partner is that they're reflecting something to you. They're actually telling you what they're seeing or what they're hearing Mm. that you may be on such autopilot that you don't even realize you're doing it. Mm. If my husband didn't say in that moment, why are you leaving? (laughs) We're having a conversation right now. Why are you leaving? I would have just been on autopilot. Just left and not even noticed that. So giving those honest reflections. And I would say that it helps to get to know yourself. Mm. Because it's like, well, duh. But why am I saying that? Because at times it's not going to be a reflection. It's going to be a projection. They're going to project on you. And so the more you know yourself, you know who you are and you know your truth, the more you could stand in your power and say, "Uh uh-uh, not my circus, not my monkeys. This is yours, not mine. So they may be projecting something from their parents or what they learned growing up. and Or just, you know, in relationships, we want to be right. Mm. (laughs) So we want to put the blame somewhere else. Sometimes we are wrong. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes it's not ours. And so, especially for those of you, like my past self of tending to fall more into the fawn, the please and appease, I, and it's a lot tied to the merging pattern, really learning to strengthen our core, to know who we are so that we don't fall into taking everything on as if it's ours. And more learning to take on what is, take responsibility. And when it's not, stand in that truth and reflect it back. Reflect it back, right? Uh, you're, You're married. You get it. Times just, it's that battle. But being able to reflect back and also take responsibility when it is ours. Yeah. Being in relationship has, I mean, before Lauren, I was single for eight years and barely dated anybody. I was so focused in work and and sport. And I will say like the amount of, of uh, blessings and lessons that have been, you know, come from being in relationship and being in relationship, I would say with someone who, um, I mean, when you and I met, we were talking, I think before we hopped on, if I recall, we were talking, I was looking, um, looking for my, my life partner, Yeah, you know, and willing to wait and willing to be patient and really wanting someone who would grow alongside me. It's allowed me to go through, um, you know, the most beautiful parts. And also like we've been through so much together and we'll continue. And she's the person I want to do life with. Yeah. And that clarity has been so freeing, I guess you could say. And like, there's been inherent safety and, and just being married. One of the things that I've noticed within myself is actually I was with her, her brother and father this weekend out in a cabin helping them chop some wood. Mm-hmm. And uh, her brother had asked me a question and he said um, something to the effect of what has changed now that you're married or how does it feel to be married? And what I shared with him and I was like, well, it's largely the same in many respects, but 
you know, one of the biggest things is I just have like, there's just an inherent level of safety, like a, a deeper level of safety, which has also allowed me to step into more of the leadership role and the masculine role. Cause there's that safety and that just maybe just trust. And then the other thing that I had shared with him was, well, this really came through watching her mother, Luca is like, I've got, I don't want to say so much, but noticeably more respect for her and love for because I've seen her do more of the challenging things in life that happen when you're with someone, especially for longer periods of time. Yeah. So it's been an absolute mirror teaching lesson since day one. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much growth that happens in relationship. I always say falling in love is easy. It's mm. like trip, fall in love. But to choose love over being right, mm. to choose to rise in love to choose to stay when things get difficult or challenging and to work through it. That's, that to me is the real love. That's where you really grow in love. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for all the many, many trials and tribulations that we've had my husband and I in the past almost six years, because there's such a depth of love between us that like, I could honestly say, yeah, you're my ride. And, ride or die. Yeah. I know I can count on you for everything because we have faced some challenging moments and we've met them. And that's what you want. You want to know that like, that's the safety. Like we'll, we're both willing to meet those edges, to put our swords down, to open our hearts. And that was not from day one. We learned to put our swords down. We learned to open our hearts. We learned to drop into our heart. And, uh, and that's what love is. I think a lot of times people are like, what is love? And there's so many ways to define it. And for me, it's that, it's that willingness to rise in love, to choose love. Mm, I love that. You had said the word earlier, uh, one of the most important things is knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious for you, for someone listening, what are some of the things that come up for you if someone's to not only develop a practice of knowing themselves better, but what are the important things that go into someone developing that relationship with themselves to know themselves over time at a deeper level? So I want you to think of yourself as a movie, Mike's movie. <laughs> And you're the writer, producer, director, actor. The script was inherited by everything that happened to you, for the most part, by the time you were seven. Most of the script, 90% of the script was developed by then. And it was developed by what you saw, what you heard, what you felt energetically from mom and or dad either how they felt about themselves or how they made you feel. And you either copied and that's what you wrote into the script or you rebelled, did the opposite or you survived. Like there was an incident that happened and you needed to create a way to, to survive it. And that became the script, the imprint. This is how to be in these situations. I have to act this way. And so part of starting to get to know ourselves is to take a look at that script, to uncover who am I really? What did I learn? Is this who I want to be? Mm -hmm. Does this serve me? And so that deep exploration into what mom and dad modeled and what did I learn? 
is a place to start to know yourself because a lot of times we operate as if this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I am a procrastinator. (laughs) I am a loner. I am a people pleaser. Some examples. I am stupid. Mm. And people call themselves this. I sat next to a woman on a plane today to fly here and she was shaking when the plane took off. Mm. I looked at her and I said, breathe, baby breath. She really appreciated it. And she said to me, she's probably in her like late thirties. She goes, this is my second flight ever. Usually I drive, but it was a funeral. So I had to hop on a plane. And she said, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm a nervous person and I need to be in control. And it was just a perfect example of where we fixate, we, we decide this is like, we act as if it's permanent. Like this is my left hand, Mike. <laughs> There's no changing that. This is left hand. <laughs> and so we have these beliefs. We believe them as fixed as that. When it's actually not, it's not who you are. It's what you learned. And if you learned it, you can unlearn it. And so we get to question what we believe about ourselves, who we say we are, and start to take that power back of that script. Instead of being on autopilot, pull that script back into your hand. Let's review it and become the editor. Learn to reparent yourself. Learn to give little Mike, what he never got from mom, what he never got from dad, Mm. learn to reparent, give him that. That's the self-love. And from that place where Mike, little Mike might've been stunted because he created survival patterns. Now he's no longer stunted. So he could grow in an area that before he never believed he could grow in. He could do things that before he never thought he could do. And so then you go from living life in survival of, well, I just, I I don't want to have my heart broken again, or I don't want to run out of money, or I don't want to gain 10 pounds to what do you want? So we're done living our life, trying to survive something that's happened in the past from happening again to what do I want to create next? Mm -hmm. Because I know who I am and I know my power and I have the tools and I know how to repair it myself. And I I know how to face (laughs) the challenges when they arise. The other metaphor I love to use is imagine yourself like a garden. And it's never been tended to. It just whatever got planted in there got planted in there. And some things were good from your childhood and some things were traumatic and some were, some, some were somewhere in the middle. And now we're going out to that garden and we're looking at what weeds are there. We're looking at different areas of your development, your self-esteem, your ability to express what you need and want your ability to set boundaries, to connect with yourself, to believe in yourself, to connect Mm -hmm. with others, to be in healthy relationships. 
we look at all that and start to see, well, what, 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 what do I believe here? And what's limiting me? And let me use the right tools like to get to the root of that, to clear those weeds out and then to plant the seeds. Well, right now, what you may want to plant are flowers, right? Eight years ago, what you wanted was business. <laughs> yeah. And then four years ago, when you and I first crossed paths, it was, I'm, I'm ready to call in my queen. Mm. And that's creation. Constantly recreating what we want. That's freedom. And challenges come along the way, just like a, a storm comes and messes up all your flowers. <laughs> so it's not that like you clear the garden and then like life is easy. Yeah, you do some inner work and you don't always have to be in the work. You get to just enjoy life too. And knowing that when a storm comes, you know how to tend to yourself. You know how to reparent yourself. You know how to bring your nervous system back to homeostasis. You know how to go from judgment to love. Mm -hmm. I have clients from years ago that still reach out to me and thank me today because they just went through a challenging time and thank God I had those tools. So it's not that life doesn't stop handing challenging moments to us that we know ourselves and we're equipped to take lemons and make lemonade. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And that was really helpful. And when you had shared the words, uh, it's not who I am, it's what I learned, a big light bulb went off because I remember that in TCS. And I remember just that, not reframe, but just the, those words there like immediately created a sense of, um, if I'm to like to tune in, whatever call experience, it was just like relief. Like, spaciousness, oh, spaciousness, relief, like, oh, wow. Yeah, there's actually space for something new. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is not fixed. This is not as true as my left hand is my left hand. <laughs> wow. I could actually be someone else. Yeah. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Like I gave the woman sitting next to me on the plane today. I was like on Instagram. She's like, yeah. I'm like, follow me on Instagram. Cause I could tell there's nobody in her network. Mm. that is giving her that like new world of possibilities and everyone deserves to know that like you have the power to create your reality and not what you know it's not who you are it's what you learned as a as developmental themes what does um mother and father represent in terms of what as a general theme growing up what are the what is the role of the mother and the father and how they're supposed to teach and experience uh, their children, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. So mom is the role model for the self. Okay. And reason is that from the second that baby's born and like Luca and he looked up at Lauren, he didn't know that who he was looking at was mom. Mm. And he didn't understand that she said, Luca, I'm your mommy. But what he did know is that the energy felt familiar. Mm. Mom's voice felt familiar. He just spent 10 months hearing it, feeling it. And so in that moment, he's like, oh, this is home. This is me. I am mom. Mom is me. And at one point with the umbilical cord, they were connected. Mm. 
And so a child sees mom as an extension of themselves. So they look at mom, they depend on mom in that way for that safety, for that nurturance and for everything related to how they see themselves, talk to themselves, treat themselves, everything self-related is learned from mom. Mm. And again, remembering that you either copy or rebel or survive. So some of you may be saying, oh, I'm nothing like my mom. Well, did you take on the opposite? <laughs> did you, were you defiant to? Yeah. 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 So it just depends. There's layers to it, but I can promise you after thousands and thousands of cases of seeing this with people, it's accurate. Someone can tell me a struggle they have. And I'm like, let me guess. Your mom was like this, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, how'd you know? I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's how it's learned. Um, so that's the role of mom, everything self-related. And then dad, dad represents everything that's not the self. So remember four months ago, the very first time you held Luca? Mm. Yeah. Well, what was going on for you? What were you feeling? Oh my God. In your body. Oh, in that hospital room when I was holding him. Yeah. Very first time. I mean, just the most heart explosive love, um, awe, gratitude, blessed and honored that I get to, I get to have this life. Yeah. I get to have him as my son. Yeah, some pretty high vibration energy there. Mm. Ecstasy times a million. Oh, I would tell people it's like an MDMA. It's being like on an MDMA drip of like love, basically, yeah. when I'm with them. Yeah, thank you for confirming what I always tell people. <laughs> I'm like, it's like ecstasy times a million. Because, you know, it becomes real for the, the, the father in that moment. Yeah. You see the belly growing and you feel the kicks. So, you know, it's happening, but it's not real until you hold it. And then it's real. Whereas for the mother, it's a love that grows Mm. over those nine, 10 months. And yes, there's a whole nother feeling when the baby's born, but she's gotten to really fall in love in that time. And for, it's an explosion for the fathers. So imagine the baby. And again, they're so tuned in. That's like they could feel energy more than anything. And that's what Luca felt from you. Heart explosion, Mm. ecstasy, gratitude, joy. And so he felt that and it felt different than anything he's ever felt. Because mom's love doesn't feel like that. Like I said, it grows gradually. It's different. You are his first experience of a powerful, beautiful, high vibration energy outside of anything he's ever felt. And it feels good to be in that level of energy and vibration. And so in that moment, he's like, Wow, what is this energy? I love this energy. I want to bathe in this energy. This is new. This isn't me. This doesn't feel familiar. So it's not me. It's my it's everything that's not me. So you become his world. 
you are father represents others. Father represents the world. Everything that is not the self. And so he looks to you. Well, A, we're always trying to get back to that feeling. Mm. So I don't know about you, but most of us, whether we're conscious to it or not, hold daddy on a pedestal. And either he lives up to it or he breaks our heart. But it's really because we're seeking to get back to that love, (laughs) to that feeling. Unfortunately, a lot of times the men, the fathers feel that the first time they hold the baby, but then out in the day to day, the following years, they're busy, they're overwhelmed, they're in survival, they're in providing, they're emotionally disconnected, they forget that moment and the child feels that separation. From love. I think it's really important that men hear this because a lot of times society tells us that or trains men to believe that you're here to provide, save home, money. Right? Traditional, traditionally, where that's ingrained in us. And sure, that's part of the equation. But most importantly, you're here to model the world and relationships and pour love into your children. Take time to be present and keep connecting back to that moment, that moment of gratitude, keeping your heart open, which for you, I mean, Mike, you have a lot of training in this, Hmm. right? So Luca's very blessed already. And I've helped a lot of men get back to that get back to their heart, out of their head to feel that so that they can give that to that little being because there's an impact if they don't. Mm. You know, it's been really, it's very simple, but it's been incredibly uh, moving for me. And it, and it's been my experience of, of what you've shared. He is so perceptive. He is so, I mean, if I'm with him, like usually in the morning is when uh, Lauren will sleep and I'll watch Luca in one of the rooms. And if I pull out my cell phone and I'm looking at my phone and let's say he's in a, I don't know, a little bouncer thing or whatever. There's a, like I, I, he'll either start crying mm-hmm. or get fussy. And it's happened so many times. Like, wow. I mean, really all he wants is presence yeah, and full attention. And that is the nourishment, at least that I can provide. Yep. And so I've noticed that when I'm on my cell phone, eight to nine times out of 10, if I'm on there for more than a few seconds or a minute or two, I can notice a felt or a visual shift in his, uh, how he's interacting and engaging. And one of the, the biggest things that's been incredible for me is just to hold him, just to hold him. And I love what you said about that reminder back to that birth moment, because actually before I held him, uh, so I caught him and then mm-hmm. immediately I put him on uh, Lauren's chest and I went right to the side of the hospital bed. And right when I went there, he opened his eyes. And so I was the first, and I just like, and, um, but when I'm, um, holding him, it brings me back to that moment. 
and uh, no technology, nothing. And so that's just been such a beautiful way for me to connect with him and um, yeah, and just give him that nourishment from the place that I would like to deliver that. Yeah, exactly. And at this age, he needs to be held a lot. So it's much easier for that. And so it's key to remember this as life gets busier and it's okay. They, as long as you're giving 30 minutes a day mm. of undivided mm. presence and attention. And as he gets older, there may be more time playing together, but presence and an open heart. A lot of men and women, but men could fall into like, or learn to be the authority. Or, or some might have learned to be hard on them, be judgmental, tell them, be a big boy, don't cry. Mm. But all these things have an impact on how he or she views the world, what's possible in the world, what's possible with others. He's also looking at you and Lauren for what is possible in relationship, in love. And all of this information is what is creating his script. And no one comes out squeaky clean. (laughs) And it's not to, that's not the goal. The goal is to both remember what you're here to teach them, what you're here to model, to do your best and to teach them great tools to learn to self-regulate and to prepare them for the world. Mm. I've had some clients that had traumatic childhoods and what they've told their kids is it's a dangerous world out there. So be careful. That doesn't prepare them. That only scares them. Mm. Instead, there could be some crazy people out there in the world. And so you want to learn to set boundaries. You want you actually want to teach them in moments like that. Here is how to protect yourself. Here's how to show up <laughs> instead of be careful, be afraid. Yeah. The, the be careful, be afraid feels more of, for me at least, uh, like paralyzing. Okay. Be afraid. And then what? Yeah, like, exactly. Then, what do and I that's do I with say. That? I'm like, no, prepare them because mm. life's going to hand you stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the more you equip them and prepare them, then you know that even when the challenges come, they're going to be okay. Their challenges are supposed to be their challenges. We're here to evolve. We all have different life lessons. I love that. And, you know, I'm definitely curious. I I would love for you to share what you're up to now and what you're working on now. And there was one question earlier that I didn't get to ask or at least dive into with you. And I'd love for you to just share, even if it's a 50,000 foot view with women, at least coming to your work when they're first entering your work, what are some of the main one, two or three major challenges or obstacles that is pulling people to your work from, from a female perspective? Mm, I think uh, normally a lot of females, we have this desire to fall in love and get married and have babies and be in great relationships or love our bodies or learn to love ourselves. And so, uh, Naturally, I think more women, because of that ticking time, (laughs) our biological clock, uh, we're 
pulled more to develop ourselves, to explore so that we can achieve that type of goal. I think for men, it's wanting to succeed and provide. Um, but for men, they could do that just with our mind. And so more women naturally, I think, gravitate towards self-development work. I'm happy to see that changing mm. because a lot more men's work like yourself popping up, which is great to model to men that it's like safe and important and valuable to do that. But back to your question, what I find with women is that they've been jaded a lot mm. by the industry. Uh, and I, I know it myself. I've been in it 18 and a half years. And I, I've spoken to a few women right now that are looking at coming to my upcoming retreat. And they're just like, how do I know I'm going to get lasting transformation? I've done a lot of things and not, how is this going to be different? Mm. And so I think that one of the things that women struggle with is being jaded, trying so many things and still bumping up against the same problems. And when I explore with them, well, tell me what you've done me the work that you've done. Mm, they all say great stuff, but it's all mindset. Mm. Or some of them, it's all, no, actually it's all mindset. I was going to say some of them, it's all somatics, but that's not true. It's all been just either therapy or NLP or EMDR or hypnosis. All are great, but they're missing the connection to the body, to the emotions, to learning how to regulate our nervous system, to learning how to talk to our inner child and love ourselves. And so I listen to them and I'm just like, I know why you're at where you're at. I've been you. I was eight years into my self-development journey and my life was in shambles. When I met my mentor, he said to me, you're different. I'm like, how? He's like, you have a lot of awareness. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're aware of all your shit. I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, you're here for finishing touches. I'm like, God, please. Yes. Because it could get exhausting to know what your issues are, know what you want, and still not be able to bridge that gap. It becomes like constantly having to manage yourself. Mm like mowing the lawn so you got to keep doing it all the time. And so to share with them that I know where you're coming from, I've been you. And the missing part is really a whole embodied system where you're looking at everything. So I'm able to speak to these women and say, trust me, you do this work, you're going to be free. You're going to have everything that you need. And so I'm really here to advocate for that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here to, I actually train other coaches and equip them with a full body mind modality because more people need that, deserve that. I, I commend those that are willing to go on their healing path. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are even afraid to take that step. But nothing could be more frustrating than being years and years into it and thousands and thousands of dollars into it and still feel like you're faced with the same challenges. That's even worse. Be better to not try at all. <laughs> well, maybe not. 
but for to give hope, to not give up and to just explore a whole body system. Hell yeah. Amen to that. Anat, can you please share uh, where people can find you? And I know you said you're working with coaches. So definitely share a little bit on that. And then the program that I took and went through was training camp for the soul. So if you can share where people can find you and what you're up to right now, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. If you follow me, I DM every new follower. I really want to get to know you and um, see if there's any way that I can support you. Um, you can always go to my website, trainingcampforthesoul.com. And yeah, I have um, the four month program. Well, it was 90 days when you did it, but four month program, the soul collective for your own individual growth and healing. Again, it's that exploration into your, your script, your inner garden and really taking that power back. And for those of you that are coaches, healers, and you love what you do, you want to get your clients deeper results. You want to feel more confident in it. I have my facilitator training. Awesome. When did that start? What's October 2nd. October 2nd. Okay. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here, for traveling up to record with me. This has been super fun and enjoyable and so good to actually have you in person and to reconnect with you. So thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you too. And thanks listeners for tuning in. Hell yeah. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.